This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. All right. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with John Williams and Pat Quinn, let me take care of a little bit of business. All right. Okay. Number one is Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your axe, for your handles, for your wood, for your carbon, for your stainless, for your leather, for your mustaches, maybe. I heard, I heard a thing or two this weekend that it might be good for waxing your mustache, okay? Just, you heard it from me. We'll talk about that later. But if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. And it's great stuff. And if you're in the EU, you can get it at knifematerial.at, and Keith Colby will give you Axewax 10% off with the promo code FULLBLAST10. Gamaco, uh, artisansupply.com.au, they'll take Full Blast 10 for, for Axewax, uh, nordicedge.com.au, we'll take Full Blast 10 for 10% off. And in the UK, our boy, our boy Toby will take it at ukknifesupplies.com. Full Blast 10 gets you 10% off your order, guys. Thank you so much for your support, Axewax. It's been awesome. No, you're the man. Uh, and thank you to all the, the listeners who are using Axewax. So go get yourself some of that Axewax, all right? Next is Total Boat. Totalboat.com. They make awesome adhesives, paints, primers, and polishing compounds. I just got off the phone with a guy who wanted to know about the UV cure, and I told him all about it. It is great stuff. It was Total Boat started for boaters, DIYers, who understand that projects need to go smoothly. Uh, that's why they're constantly finding ways to make their original products easier to use, more sustainable, and less expensive. They even tinker with the packaging from time to time to make it more user-friendly. I'll attest to that. Their two-part epoxy is great when you get it two containers. You give it a pump each, and you're getting enough for one set of knife scales, which is nice. Or maybe two, depending on the size of your knife. So if you go to TotalBoat.com... Use the promo code FULLBLAST10. You're going to get 10% off your order. I would highly suggest giving their Total Pot a high-performance two-part epoxy a try. Definitely give it a, the UV Cure Clear Resin a try. That's the stuff you you put it in, you squeeze it out, and then you get out that UV flashlight. Give it a couple seconds of that, and it just it transforms. It cures that stuff, and it's great for little holes and stuff to fill. If you don't believe me, you're going to believe Keith Decent. What about Derek from Malden? Keith Johnson? Keith Mitchell, Jimmy DeResta, they're all using Total Boat. And I would suggest that you use Total Boat too. Uh, go to TotalBoat.com and get yourself that 10% off when you use the promo code FULLBLAST10. You hear me? You heard? You heard? All right. Next is my friends at Trojan Horse Forge. They're making the THF Stable Rail Knife Finishing Vice. This is an awesome vice. And they're built in the heart of Texas. They're designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level with features you won't find anywhere else. The Quick Connect Stable Rail Blade Sanding Attachment allows you to maximize stability. The stabilization system helps support the entire knife, including the tip. It allows you to access contours and compound bevels, and it's also excellent for integrals. That means that vice will will stick into your bench vice, right? And then it's a it's a pipe with a that's cut, and then it's got a couple tabs, and then there's like a locking mechanism, and then there's this piece that spins on the inside. Okay, now on the piece that spins on the inside, they have these plates that attach to the 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 inside uh, 
peace. And then you can hand sand your blades. And all the uh, the plates that hold your knife down have these rubber have rubber on each side. So it, it's going to protect your knife. You're not going to have to worry about scratching and stuff like that. And you can you can angle it up. You can angle it to the side. You can support a distal taper. You can support an integral bolster. And it's really great. And then, so that's your hand sanding. Hand sanding's finished. They give you tons more rubber. They give you a bomb-proof case. They give you all sorts of pins to make your adjustments to make sure that you're in the the knife is where it's supposed to be. And then when you're done, you got your handle on. You turn around and then you put the knife into the stable rail knife finishing vise and you finish your handle. It's great. My all my knives. I've said this once. I said it a hundred times. As soon as I got the knife finishing vise, all my little two by fours that I used and all you knife makers know what I'm talking about. Into the fire bin, I, and then I, all my soft jaws are getting all the soft jaws that I put on my hand, on my clan, on my uh, vices. They're they're making dust. They're getting dusty. They're getting dusty because the stable rail knife finishing vice is my favorite vice to use. And if you go to trojanhorseforge.com, you and if you put in, if you buy a Trojan Horse Forge and uh, vice knife finishing vice, put in the promo code full blast, you will get free shipping in the United States, which is great. So those guys are awesome. Uh, they also offer payment plans. Uh, it, 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 just to let you know, these these vices go fast. So they do them in batches, and you might have to be on the waiting list, but don't sleep on them. It's not, it's not, they're, not, they're not sitting around. They're making them as fast. They're selling them as fast as they're making them. So go get yourself one of them knife-finishing vices at TrojanHorseForge.com, okay? And then the last but not least, my friends at Maritime Knife Supplies are are sponsoring the podcast. They're very, very supportive of the maker community. They're very, very supportive of the podcasting community. And I appreciate Lawrence's support of this podcast. If you're in Canada or in the United States, they have all your knife finishing, knife making needs, belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treating ovens, anvils, anything you can think of that you need or resupply, whatever you need, including Axe Wax. Get yourself some of that Axe Wax over at Trojan Horse Forge. They're in Canada, but to ship in the United States, it's easy, and you can take advantage of the exchange rate. The steel selection is always growing, and Lawrence just told me he got a pile of steel. A pile of steel coming in all the time. He's getting new steels all the time, and if you buy some abrasive belts, packs of 10, he gives you 10% off, so definitely do it. I, and, and just for me, when I got some stuff from, from uh, Maritime Knife Supply, it showed up within as fast as any other American. I'm in New York. He's from Canada. He shipped it. It came as fast as anything else, and I know a lot of you knife makers... You, you you buy close to the deadline. I know you're thinking like, oh man, I just ran out of that. Whatever, and I need it tomorrow, or I need it, and, and you don't want to wait a week. If you go to Maritime Knife Supply, you will get your order on time, and it's great. and And I appreciate his service. I appreciate his uh, his ability to work with makers, especially knife makers. Some of you guys are flea bags, and you wait to the last minute. He'll take care of you. All you flea bags, he'll take care of you. He's not afraid. He he'll get, Lawrence got you got you covered. So go to maritimeknifesupply.com. Tell him thank you. You're thank you for supporting the podcast. Th- tell him thank you for supporting Full Blast. And you can tell all the sponsors of the podcasts, all of them that you appreciate the fact that they support this podcast that you listen to every week. You know what I'm saying? Every week. All right? All right, guys. Listen. Listen to me. 
listen to me, listen to me. I just got back from Johnstown, PA. I just got back from the Center for Metal Arts. I just finished the last workshop of 2022 at the Center for Mental Arts, and I cannot stress enough how great of a time I had. As a teacher, as a, just a, a, a knife maker, as a blacksmith, as a person in the world trying to learn and be inspired, I must say the Center for Mental Arts was a, a pleasure. So if, you, if this is the first time you're, you're hearing about the Center for Mental Arts, I had done a few episodes with Pat Quinn, uh, who's the director of the Center for Mental Arts. Uh, you can stop this after this little, I'm kind of giving the rundown of what happened before the interview. You can listen to those two interviews are great. One of the first one was with Pat. It was kind of more of his origin. And then I had another one where we talked about the, what's going on at the Center for Mental Arts. And then the last one I had with him on, I was down there at the Center for Mental Arts. And I thought, you know, we had a good time. We went into the office and we just talked about it. Listening to Pat and, t- and listening about Johnstown and, and, and hearing and, and, and reading about uh, the Cambri- Cambria Iron and what happened to Johnstown and his relationship with how the Center for Metal Ar- Center for Metal Arts is the relationship with Johnstown is one thing. Being there is another. So when I was down there, I got a f- real fresh perspective and, and saw worked with him and got to see the shop and the student shop and then the the octagon where all the giant hammers are and talked about the the upcoming uh, Cambria Iron Conference on September 17th. By the way, there's still availability. This is coming out the Friday before, a week before, so there's still availability. You can get your get get down there and, and see some big hammers run. So I was fortunate enough to be teaching this friction folder workshop. I kind of been doing friction folders for a number of years, and I tried to kind of really focus on creating something that was a little bit different than the, the standard and make my own. And I really wanted this, the idea of this friction folder to be more like my version of, of a blacksmith knife. I really wanted it to be more of a blacksmith knife with, you know, angle iron and this and that and the other thing. And we use subway tokens and, and then I was using New York city subway tokens. And then, um, when I, when center for metal arts had a call to action for people to submit classes i submitted this as a class i really wanted it to be not a knife making class but more of a blacksmithing class forging class with forging and filing and there's some heat treatment and we did some stuff so the first one was great we had a great time and then i went down there for the second one and i was excited because i had already gotten the wet you know i gotten all my cobwebs out i knew what worked what didn't work i knew the changes i needed to make and i was excited i was super excited so i was on my way down and i thought probably a few days before I went, I just assumed that Pat would want a podcast. I assumed. So I sent him a message that said, should I bring my podcasting stuff down there? And he just wrote, yep. So that was awesome. So in my mind, I'm, th- I'm driving down to Johnstown. I guess it's, I'm driving down on Sat Friday and I'm kind of thinking about, you know, what we're going to talk about. And, and, and at the time, I realized that the week before my class started, the week I was driving down, John Williams was going to be there. John Williams is an extraordinary blacksmith. I've known about John for a long, long time. He has, he's a young guy with 20 years of, of blacksmithing experience. He's just like, he's a monster. And he makes, the first time I ever saw anything he made, I saw uh, Ellen Durkin had one of his hammers, and they're amazing. And I've known John, and we've kind of talked online, and, it was, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great to meet John Williams. Such an important person in the modern blacksmithing world. 
And I thought to myself, like, there is a chance. There is a chance. And I didn't send messages. I didn't say, I'm going to just play it by ear. I said, there's a chance I'm going to be able to interview John and Pat at the same time. I'm like, I'm hoping. I'm crossing my fingers. He might have to leave Friday night. If I'm showing up Friday and I can unload everything, and am I going to be ready? And what am I going to talk about? Will I be, will I have the opportunity to, you know, gauge? And I mean, he might not want to do it. I talked to some big guys who, they're just not podcasting people. They're just, maybe they're not, maybe they're nervous. Or maybe they're, I mean, how do I, you know, how do you just kind of like, like, hey, man, you want a podcast? Uh, you know, you never know. So I was just going to play it by ear. The idea was, was I was going to go down there with the, you know, the hope to talk with Pete, uh, with Pat in regards to the, the conference and what's been going on since the last time I was down there and just have a nice conversation with Pat. Went down there, met John. Couldn't have been nicer. Um, couldn't have been. He had a big smile on his face and we had a great time and we were having, we were talking and having dinner and we were just kind of catching up. I mean, we know each other online but never met face to face and it was just this really, really, really great experience and I have such a high, I hold him in such high regard and Pat in such high regard. And the interesting thing is this class that he and Pat taught or they were co-teaching class, which is awesome because they're both incredibly skilled, you know, blacksmiths, incredibly skilled at forging. They have very, very, you know, I wanted to know what that's like. I mean, there wasn't like one guy was the lead guy and the other guy was the assistant. They had this rapport, this parallel thinking in regards to this class. And it was really interesting to see how, how that worked out. So we're having conversation, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I just decided in my mind, I'm thinking, well, we figure out when you're going to leave. We're going to figure out when we can podcast. I was planning, last time I was down there, we podcast on a Sunday morning. In my mind, I'm thinking that's a good time because, you know, I just want to be prepared for the class. And I don't want to, you know, if worse comes to worse, the class comes first, and I'll figure it out afterwards. If I can't do it, don't worry about it. I'm not going to worry about that podcast, and class comes first. So I said to Pat, I said to John, when are you leaving? And he goes, oh, I'm leaving Saturday. So I'm not going to suggest we do it Saturday morning. We we're all going to go out for dinner. The people who were taking the class, including my man, my man, Andrew, who stayed, who hung out. I got there. He had a long drive ahead. He hung out and said, hey, hung out for dinner. And then he had a, he must have driven in all night long. And Andrew, you're the man. Andrew Messimer, you're a, you're a bad motherfucker. And and you made a you uh, you're the you're my you're my hero. You're my hero for hanging out. So we went to have dinner and we we're having a nice conversation. Um, and then it was like, all right, let's go back to the let's go back. And we, they were into it. Both Pat and John were saying, all right, let's let's podcast. So I had to kind of figure out where I was going to go. You know, usually, I mean, you know, just tear down the fourth wall. Is I really try to, I try to space out how much time I have to prepare for the podcast. And I was like, not really expecting to have them on. So I was, I tr- I really had to like, get squared away to get him going. But I, I, I mean, it was if I didn't podcast with Pat and John, it would have been a real mistake because our conversation was really, really great. It was really interesting. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. They had, they had awesome stories and how they, you know, their, their teaching styles affect, you know, work together and how they kind of decided to do this class, which is great. One of the things, and I, and it was fun. The, the, one of the things that's interesting is that one of the takeaways is the take, one of the takeaways is, and something I just kind of wanted to put, touch upon after talking to Pat and John, uh, after taking the class, after kind of like thinking back, I mean, I was I was forging before social media, and now I'm, you know, forging in the height of social media. I would say, and I've had different opinion, different, differing, 
different. God damn it. I've had difference of opinions in regards to how social media it has affected forging blacksmithing over the entirety of society. And this is me talking. I believe that we are headed towards the golden age of blacksmithing. In this regards, forging, moving metal, making sculpture, making metal. I'm specifically talking about metalwork. For thousands and thousands of years, blacksmithing and forging has not been a recreational activity. Really. To the point where we were trying to talk, I was talking to Pat about it, talking to John about it, trying to figure out at what point has blacksmithing become a recreational endeavor? And we're trying to, I mean, you know, obviously we're generalizing, but nowadays there are so many knife classes available, knife making classes, blacksmithing classes. There's so much, this is the most you've been, society has been able to see forging in, in, in images in videos, in short clips on Instagram, on short clips on Facebook, on Forge and Fire. This is, we're becoming to the point where it's exponentially growing in terms of society seeing forging as not just, oh, Anvil is for farriers or Anvil, no, I shouldn't even say farriers. People don't even know the word, most people don't even know the word farriers. Anvils aren't for wily Coyote dropping on, a, on, a, on the Roadrunner. Anvils aren't just for Popeye or an olive olive oil putting in her purse and smashing Brutus over the head with it uh, with the, with the anvil. Now we're seeing anvils being used and what they're being used for, right? So the great thing is is you have the ability to learn and see and seek out. So people are buying more industrial equipment that they never were able to have in their own homes. We talked about that, and. It's amazing. People are buying two by seventy two grinders, and they're buying forging presses, and they're buying power hammers, and they're buying and they're making tire hammers, and they're making forging presses, and they're making and they're buying and they're they're seeking out in order to make Damascus, in order to make the things that they've seen online. This is great, and I too believe I do believe that this is a golden age in society for the way we view forging in general. With that said. Watching videos is awesome. It gets you inspired. I believe anything to kick the door in or hold the door in to get someone interested in it is good enough for me. But without proper education, you can only do so much. The amazing thing about what's going on at the Center for Mental Arts is they are teaching how to use industrial equipment safely and properly. They're teaching you how to use forging skills, blacksmithing skills, safely and correctly. The people who took my class, who had made friction folders before, made them the way I made mine. They looked great. And they had the people, and once again, in terms of uh, just in terms of teaching and using uh, industrial equipment at, at a recreational level, which is, if you really think about it, it's crazy, totally crazy. Uh, Andrew Messimer, we talked about Andrew Messimer. He'd never used a power hammer before, and he made three sets of tongs that were out of control good. Out of control good that he would never have been able to do without the guidance and instruction from John and Pat. And I'm not saying it was because... I'm not saying he couldn't because he was in- incapable. He was willing to learn. He was willing to accept 
you know, how to learn. And he banged out bombers. I mean, these these sets of tongs are like shocking. And then I'm not like once again, Andrew. Don't I'm taking I'm giving take it as a compliment, okay, Andrew. I'm your you're my guy. You're my guy. But the, the idea is is now that we've seen what can be done, we should be focusing on figuring out ways in which to um, learn on a very very important level you're, you're going to push yourself you're going to be able to go much farther when you take classes and especially take classes at the center for mental arts where safety is number one uh proper instruction is number one the seriousness that pat has in regards to the way you learn and the way you go forward is extraordinary and i am honored to be an instructor at the Center for Mental Arts. I'm a door kicker, guys. When I say I'm a door kicker, I'm the guy who wants to get your foot in the door, and then then you're going to open the door. So I want to make sure that you all go to the Center for Mental Arts, support whatever they do, go to this, this the Cambria Iron Conference, and definitely check it out and support the, the CMA as long as possible because it's definitely going to be worth it. And I want to do a couple shout-outs. Not to mention thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to Pat for being such a, so hospitable. Thanks to Jordan, Aaron, Courtney. Thank you so much for making me feel so hospitable. Making me feel like it, the hospitality was out of control over the Center for Mental Arts. I love And if you're a student and you're going to go to the Center for Mental Arts, stay at the rectory. It's awesome. One of the things, and I know we're going to get to the, I know we're going to get, guys, just calm down. We're going to get to the interview. Just relax. The most amazing thing about taking class at the Center for Mental Arts is you're, you're living and you're eating and you're around the instructor and other people. So we went to dinner together. We went to a street fair together. We were laughing at the street fair. We were laughing at dinner. We were talking about things. You're living in this rectory that was, a, it's a beautiful building. It's every guy, everybody's got rooms and the bathrooms are clean. Every, the rooms are really clean. They have a shared kitchen and we were sitting in the kitchen having a drink and having a laugh. It's, and it's walking distance from the CMA. It's a wonderful dormitory to take, to stay there. I, I've been there twice. Every time I'm fired up, I love going to the rectory. The rectory is dynamite. Um, so I want to thank uh, Courtney and, and Pat and Aaron and Jordan for being so hospitable there. Thank you to the guys who took the class. class the class was filled with knife talk and, and knife talk and full blast listeners. Tristan and Kat, Caitlin are awesome, wonderful people. It's a wonderful couple. I had them at Dragons with Forge, and they came down to um, CMA. We had a lot of laughs. Tristan's a funny guy. They're very serious people. They're an AMT and a firefighter. Boy, they like to laugh, though. I, I, I appreciated your good cheer. I appreciated everything. You were terrific. Steve Pellegrino surprised the shit out of me. He kept it quiet. Kept it quiet. All of a sudden, I'm setting up, and here walks to the door. The best man, best looking guy in knife making shows up. Steve Pellegrino was there. We had a good time. Uh, Stuart from New New Forest Forge came all the way from from England, England, just to take this class. And I cannot I cannot appreciate enough. I cannot thank you enough, um, Stuart, for your making the effort to come all the way to, to Johnstown, PA to take this class. It was a lot of fun. Jeff, thank you very much. It was great to see you. Je- you were you were great too. And I definitely appreciate you being there. Um, and once again, got to thank my man, Andrew Messimer. Andrew Messimer, he, he, I don't know if he slept on the side of the road on Friday night, but I hope, I mean, I know he got home, but I mean, like, I hope he got home okay. All right, so without any further ado, once again, I want to thank Pat and the gang uh, at the Center for Metal Arts. This episode with John Williams and Pat Quinn, we were using a microphone that was 
ultimately my fault. It's all we had. And I wish the audio was a little bit better, but it's still to the, you know, podcasting equipment is, is still kind of not the best in regards to figuring out, you know, being on the spot and being spontaneous. So I, if there's any bad audio, blame me. If there's any questions, there was one question that I asked Pat and I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And he told me, I don't know what you're talking about. Remember that, remember that line. Remember it when he says, what were you saying? What are you, what are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. That's a spoiler alert. I have no idea. That question was, uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, Maybe one too many beers. Who knows? So listen to this podcast. John Williams. It's John underscore Williams underscore Guildworks on Instagram. Go follow him. And uh, Pat Quinn, Handforge and VT. All right. Without any further ado, live back from the Center for Metal Arts, Pat Quinn and John Williams. All right. Are you guys ready? Um, I don't know what to expect, so there's no way for me to actually. Sure, I'm 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 ready to roll with whatever the hell. Yeah. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm back in Johnstown, PA, at the Center for Mental Arts with Pat Quinn and a special guest. Well, wasn't expecting this, but I'm glad it happened. John Williams is here too. The, John Williams is someone that I've known for a long time. He's an incredible blacksmith. His hammers, his tool making, his uh, his notoriety in the blacksmithing, the forging world is is something that's been universal in the metalworking community. And I'm very glad you're here. How are you? I'm doing real well. Thank you for having me. Pat, how are you? Doing great. Just fine and dandy. Back here in PA, you guys just wrapped up a week long tong making workshop. You teamed up. Teamed up. It's not something you normally see where you have two metal workers, two craftsmen working on the same class. What? Tell me about the class. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take the lead on that. Um, so I came out to the Center for Metal Arts uh, last year. Uh, Pat was uh, gracious enough to have me out. And I did a tool making class and... During the class, uh, Pat was was sort of uh, ad-libbing while we were teaching, and we realized we had a really good rapport, and uh, we kind of fell into it really easily, and we had a lot of fun. So after that, then we kind of put our heads together and said, hey, would you like to do this again? So Pat asked me what I'd like to co-demonstrate. I'm like, hell yeah, I'd like to co-demonstrate. So... It turns out we're both we have a lot of shared interests and uh, we are both very very passionate about tongs. So tongs was that was kind of the name of the game and uh, kind of went from there. The interesting thing about tongs is with Pat especially, your approach to tongs has changed dramatically since you've come to Johnstown. Mm-hmm. How would you say? How would you make? Could you make that? Transition now. If you're listening to this podcast, thinking what the fuck are they talking about, you got to go listen to the form. The last episode I had Pat on at the Center for Metal Arts it was about six months ago or something like that, and you can get kind of a backstory. How would you feel? How would you describe how your approach to tongs has changed before Johnstown and after Johnstown? Before Johnstown, uh, basically, I had no idea how to make a strong. I call it V-bit, some, some call it bolt jaw, same style um, tong, and 
having moved to Johnstown and um, occupying the historic Cambria Iron and Steel Blacksmith Shop, I've at my disposal have pallets and pallets and pallets of um, historic tongs dating from the mid 1800s um, that were used by blacksmiths in that shop and that really has informed um, my entire process for forging those tongs and I've, I've been researching that for quite some time now and have developed a um, educational curriculum around forging um, a bolt jaw or v-bit tong based on all of the examples that I found here in the shop so you know, when, when John and I co-teach, that was the, the portion of the workshop that, that I brought to it. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it just is kind of what, what I've been thinking a lot about the past three years or so. So I'm really excited to, to share that with people. So. And John, your, your approach to blacksmithing in general comes from a history as... Not only a blacksmith, but you spent, you know, you just, you told me at dinner that you spent 19 years as a farrier. Mm -hmm. How would you say your approach to tong making, where has it led you to now when you talk about your, your history as a, a farrier and a blacksmith? T t tell me your opinions on, I'm trying to figure out how the connection works out as the, both of you. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm. I have training in, in farrier work, but my blacksmithing work was largely uh, self-taught. Not to say entirely self-taught, but I only had limited resources at the time. And when it came to tong making, I didn't really have any at all. I was informed about whether or not what I was making was good by whether or not it survived me beating it up right. down the road. So. And it was just a lot of trial and error and a lot of beating my head to, head against the wall and just being very stubborn. But um, over time, I think, you know, if you're paying attention to, you know, having common failures in certain areas and you realize, okay, these areas need to be stronger, um, you know, it, it's not just about making areas strong. It's also about making things comfortable. You know, you work long hours as a farrier and, you know, if you find your hands getting fatigued or something like that. So a lot of it was just getting feedback from the tools that I made. And, uh, I also just am very interested in design. So I would constantly sort of noodle with this stuff. And I don't know, I think if anybody was going to just, you know, focus on tongs for long enough, they would arrive at <laughs> the perfect pair. Right. My path to arriving at what I thought was a good pair of uh, tongs was, a, you know, kind of a long and frustrating one. But, um, but I think it's been really valuable because I, I have a lot of experience with seeing, you know, what actually works and what doesn't. And then, you know, coming back around to, you know, the thing with Pat and uh, the Cambria um, Ironworks tongs, uh, you know, there's such great examples of just really, really great industrial tongs. But the thing that I love about the tongs here, <clears throat> they're super strong, but they're built really strong in a way that's very elegant. And it is, uh, <clears throat> it's kind of no frills, but it's super beautiful because, you know, form often sort of needs function hmm. and vice versa. So... They end up just, you know, some of the things that I've been chasing, I was just talking to Pat, that I didn't like because aesthetically 
I didn't really like and some of the designs I was working on, some of the solutions that Pat has observed they were doing at Cambria, I'm like, wow, that's it. And it actually is making me rethink designs from like a design standpoint, just like what looks good. But it also works really good. Because both of you are coming at tongs almost from a different standpoint in terms of what you're using the tongs for. Like, I mean, the, the, the flat-jawed tongs that you're using, you're most likely, when you were saying comfortability, you're talking about as a farrier working with horseshoes, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not just a farrier. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I sort of subsidize my blacksmithing habit with farrier work. You know, smooths out the highs and the lows, and I really enjoy what I do as a farrier, and I've worked for... Almost 20 years as a farrier, I taught farrier, um, the uh, forging curriculum at a farrier school for 15 years. So, you know, that definitely informs me, but I came at it from a blacksmithing perspective. I was, I was building tongs before I was doing farrier work because I needed them. Well, take me back. What got you into blacksmithing in the first place? I just really wanted to do it. And I was, uh, I was at this point where, you know, uh, prior to deciding to be a blacksmith, I had a lot of responsibilities with, you know, things going on with my family and I kind of, you know, contributed a lot to, you know, the income there. And then everything seemed to be going good. And I thought, you know what, I kind of got a chance here. So I really want to do blacksmithing and I'm just going to see if it works out. And I'm young enough that if it's not going to work out, then I can probably adapt. But what was that spark? What was that spark that kind of drew you in towards metalworking in general? I don't know. I just always thought it was just, there's just some sort of, you know, appeal and just magic to working with iron. You know, I've always been, I've always been somebody who's liked making things, but iron in particular, there was a certain like mystery and something about it that was really compelling to me. And then initially I think I was attracted to things that had a certain amount of utility, but a certain amount of beauty to them. Like one of the first things that I ever saw that I really, really appreciated was this beautiful Peter Wright post vise. And it had this gorgeous lathe work on the box and the screw and all the chamfers on the legs were perfect. And they had file work, you know, on the jaws that wasn't really necessary, but some craftsmen some long time ago put that there just because they had pride in their work and it was worth doing something really well and making it beautiful at the same time that it was functional. So. There's th- there were things like that, but also like I liked like um, uh, Viking artifacts, you know, like that had the the two the two kind of things that originally attra- attracted me were like the Viking silver inlay and overlay on utilitarian objects like spears and axes, or another thing that thought I thought was super cool was like the Japanese suba. So you have this sort of like restricted space that has to be a thing, but then you have limitless like ability to the only thing that's going to limit you from being able to actually make that a beautiful piece of art is your imagination and but those and those and those like borders of what you can and can't do or it's kind of where the you have the ability to be most creative yeah there's a constraint but i think it actually enables creativity and then i just thought okay if i really want to be good at this i also want to be good at making things really beautiful too and, you know, you're also known, I mean, one of the many things, I mean, I'm not going to say known, but I mean, I've noticed is your hammers. I first saw one of your hammers. Ellen Durkin had one of your hammers at Maker Camp, like three years ago I saw it. In, 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 I mean, I'd seen your work before, obviously, mm-hmm. but I saw it in person. 
your hammers tend to be more. I mean, I don't know if this is in general, but I seen them in more of a farrier style. Often, yeah. I mean, the old, you know, American farrier's hammers like Champion and and Heller um, and, uh, you know, a few others were some of the first ones that as a farrier really appealed to me. So going back almost 20 years, I had some really great examples. Another you know, it, I've been really informed by a master blacksmith named Jay Sharp that made hammers and tongs and other tools and pretty much in that same tradition. And, you know, I that was sort of an ideal for me, but I also like doing different design. Like the hammer that you're talking about was an original design, and I do a lot of that. And I, I like to challenge myself to ha- come up with an original design, something that's novel and looks like mine because I want to have something that's distinctive to me and, and, and kind of characteristic of what I like and the values and qualities I like to see. Um, but I still like for things to function, you know, everything's got to work at the end of the day. It's got to be safe. You can't have bad edges and, you know, it's got to be ergonomic and, 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 and actually, you know, serve all the right purposes. So, you know, some of it is I'm definitely informed by the farrier thing, but you know, it's not. It's not the. It's not the sole right. influence on my work. Yeah. Right. But both of you, Pat and John, you both have come from. You both have a very similar aesthetic, but from different, it, different areas. You have very similar. Speaking to the both of you, you both have a very. You know, it's function first and then form. You both are informed by the work that you're doing. Bring me to this tong making class and how each one of you has benefited from each other. Pat, I've I've been talking. I'll, I'll let you take. I'll let you take some listeners. Here. Time. <laughs> John Williams' story. Man, I've been on this thing a couple of times now. I don't want to bore your listeners. No, no, no. Just cut it out. Cut it out. So, how would you think? How does John informed your work? You know, I think. I mean, from a technical standpoint, I've always looked up looked up to his work for sure, and. Um, we did share that rapport when he taught here last year and everything, but I think the one thing that um, we we feel strongly about that um, has brought us together is that you know tong making we can sort of identify single handedly as the the one sort of exercise that made us good blacksmiths, and, and having that sort of core philosophy about the tool itself. And about the process is really what I think makes our workshop strong. And so when, you know, he'll, he taught the three shoulder flat jaw tongue, which is, you know, foundational stuff for anybody who wants to get involved in the craft of forging. And then without even realizing it, once I started demonstrating on Wednesday, the V bits and the industrial inspired tongs from Cambria, it had hit me that like all the things that I was showing kind of built off of the stuff that he had showed the students on Monday and Tuesday. And it was this really wonderful kind of like, um, you know, new set of techniques that dovetailed beautifully off of the first couple of days of the workshop. That's right. Because you weren't, and when I had originally thought that you guys were teaching this class, you were teaching it together. John did the first day and then, or you guys like switched days almost like well, one. What, what we talked about and how it worked, which I think is a pretty good model. Um, first two days John had 
doing flat jaw tongs. And then I had Wednesday and Thursday doing V-bit tongs. And then Friday was the open studio day to either finish something that you didn't accomplish throughout the week or if you were, you know, killing it, you make another pair of your choice, right? So it was like structured really well for a beginner right because there's no pressure to like make a certain amount of tongs you know i always say like make one pair that's really good rather than three pairs that are kind of like eh. but the way it was structured was really great because we had students with all different skill sets and um never any pressure never any like pretensions or any of that bullshit. It just is like you work at your own pace. We're here to help you. And if you're making a lot of tongs really well, then your Friday is for more. And if you feel like, you know, you, you need time still, the, the class moved at a pace that was pretty quick. But um, I think everybody at least either had two V-bits in one flat jaw or two flat jaws in one V-bit. I mean, it was they, perfect. They, they crushed it. Yeah. <laughs> they crushed it. What, what's interesting is, is this is something that I've been thinking about in the grand scheme of things in regards to modern day forging. Modern day forging, blacksmithing, whatever you want to call it, is as a recreation, is new. New within the past, what would you say? I mean, no one was... Ta- uh, 50 years ago, were people t- finding recreational blacksmithing classes or forging classes? Probably not. No, I think 50 years ago, it was just beginning to emerge as something that people would even do in America. Right, right. But like as a recreational thing, we're talking 20, 30 years, maybe? Barely? It, regardless, it's yeah. hardly any amount of time. So there hasn't been generations of teaching as a recreational situation so you have this opportunity to create curriculum that benefits people who've forged before people who haven't forged before and this is a very i think this is a very generous way to get people because i saw the the i saw the uh, uh tongs that andrew made and they, they I, he said he, he told me while we were waiting for john he said he'd never used a power hammer before monday before Monday. I mean, those tongs were, I've never made a pair of tongs that looked a, a quarter as good as those. I mean, they're, I mean, then that shows you a degree of the excellence in teaching and this new style of recreational teaching of forging. I mean, that, I mean, that is absolutely right. And you're striking a chord with me because never before in, well, whatever. If, how is it nowadays that recreation and industrial machinery kind of mesh, right? It's like never, never. somebody go, I want to go get an industrial machine and use it recreationally. That's new. Super new. So for me, yeah, you learn how to make tongs, but how, how long was the, the introduction to running a power hammer? That was yeah. like almost an entire morning because now people are using an industrial machine in a recreational context without any training. Right. 
We've talked about this before. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Actually, I was I was on Knife Talk and we were talking about um, a lot of the things. Just don't worry. You, you, you don't worry about that. There, there. We were talking about the just with welding. I see videos or of people when they're welding and somebody's holding the weld for them and just closing their eyes. Or I see people welding in t-shirts. Or I see a lot of industrial techniques that people are doing without any safety training. And, and it is, is terrifying. It's terrifying to me because we do have now, people have you know, uh, 220 uh, motors with uh, 2x72 grinders in their garage. You know that with the 36 grit belt that'll take your finger off so fast. So it's a, what's amazing is that ability to create an education of the new education of forging as a recreation. Yeah, and I think that's part of like what I like to bring to the to the classroom is the object or the tool, but but also you know a little bit about how to run the machinery to make the tool because I, I can actually appreciate how available industrial equipment and hammers are right now and I think that's doing great things for the craft and allowing people to make work uh, beyond what they would be able to make without it and there's a lot of cool stuff happening and I think it's exciting and that's part of my attraction to you know power hammer education but this is also not just the fact that you're teaching them safety, but they're, the proficiency. I mean, yeah. Andrew never used a power hammer before. And like I said, those, those tongs he made were tight. They were beautiful. The forging was beautiful. They looked really great for someone who had never used a power. He told me, he told me while we were waiting, he said he was terrified. Because he'd never, he was worried that he, would, he had never used a power hammer before. He, was, he, was, he had forged before, but in, he was a machinist, but he was being honest. And he was just like, at the, first, at, the, at the beginning, I was nervous. And he says, and I felt very comfortable. He says, I, I figured out a way. I used one hammer the two days, and then I just got comfortable on that hammer to make sure that I was comfortable throughout the day. We were using kiss blocks. He was, a, you know, he, was using, he was using his head, but you were, cre- you were, you were teaching a degree of, of proficiency. That's not something that you, you can't teach proficiency in a weekend in an industrial class. You can't teach proficiency, but you can teach good principles. So, you know, I think one thing that was really great about this class is that Pat and I, our primary focus was on good foundational skills and good principles and, you know, good safety. And that is, I think, why somebody like Andrew, who came into this whole thing terrified of that power hammer, went away with really, really tight tongs is because, you know, um, a lot of people come to classes, you know, maybe because they're really interested in something. But, you know, as a, as a teacher and Pat and I were having this discussion uh, yesterday at lunch, you're as a teacher, you're it really doesn't matter what the subject is you're just trying to teach that person good, you know, good principles and foundation of skills. The fact that they are interested in that, uh, in that subject, that just means they have some buy-in and, you know, they, they really are interested in doing it. But, you know, Pat and I really, I think focused a lot on making sure that more than making tongs, it seemed like we were focused on making sure people had a really good idea of how to forge. And then, 
you know, because of that, the forging's turned out really, really well. So they got, they got exceptional tongs. I mean, their tongs, I can tell you almost every single one of them, their tongs look nicer than the ones I did in the demo. <laughs> I was like, hey, you guys got to stop showing me up here. Hey, you know, tongs, slow down, slow down. Andrew's tongs were unbelievable. No, they were, they were phenomenal. All of them, they all did a fantastic job coming in at various different levels of skill and various... You know, very various uh, strengths and various things that they need to work on, but all of them left like they did a, but, a great job across the board. No, it was, it was fantastic. Like I said, this style, this concept of teaching in this manner is new. You could be, you could look at teaching in English class, and there are generations upon generations of ways in which you can teach. To get your students to learn. Obviously, they're going to be good teachers and bad teachers. But this concept of teaching recreational industrial forging is brand new. And what you guys are doing is a hit. And the fact that you're enjoying it, that you're, you're teaming up together and working and creating this class based off the fact that you just got along the last time and you had this kind of like rapport. I mean, obviously, Center for Mental Arts is the, uh, I mean, the leading the way. In this new style of, because because obviously because obviously, who, who I mean who needs, I mean unless you're working as a blacksmith or a whatever, I mean these industrial who needs these industrial tongs. Well, I mean what I've done is worked really hard to identify what makes the you know ten inch square industrial tong for a, a Cambria iron blacksmith successful strong, useful, functional, and translate that in into a pair of tongs that hold half inch for the hobbyist. Right. The the beginner, the professional, the weekend enthusiast, whatever. So it's like, yeah, nobody, you know, you know, even I haven't used the freaking ten inch tongs here because whatever. But there's things to be learned from those tongs and then making that something you can teach a student in a tong that's functional for their practice is what I've been trying to do. I've a lot of the listeners of this podcast and knife talk are they make knives. And I get messages from guys, what size what type of tong should I have? And what I say always is, you should make them. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I feel like the re- because you're doing a tool with two identical parts, you're learning how to become more proficient in consistency. When you're teaching, when you're, when you're trying to talk, when, I mean, I'm not trying to say you're selling it, but why should a, in your opinion, why should a bladesmith take a tongue making class? I know. I want to hear. From, I want to hear from the from the chairman of the board. I'll just say, you know, one thing, and I, and I sort of said this to the class this week as well, which was, you know, this class is sure you, you're you're to walk away with a couple pairs of tongs, but but that's not the that's not the main goal. The main goal is to empower you as a blacksmith to make work to make tools to make more work to help you to aid you in your craft 
right? So it's like one pair, three pairs, 10 pairs, zero pairs, maybe because you didn't quite get it. Everybody shared the same level of success here. And nobody walked away with zero. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not just empowering people to, you know, be able to make tongs. So that's the, I think that's the real point. You know, getting back to what Pat said earlier, um, he and I both have a recognition that what made us good smiths was tong making, or at least was a, a huge contributor, right? So if you're talking about empowering people to be better smiths, tongs is probably singularly one of the best things that you could do to empower people to build their skill set and build it really well. And if you want to talk about taking a tong class, I mean, I can't speak to any, everybody's tong classes, but you know, like if you're going to come to CMA, for instance, you know, you're going to get such a great um, experience with learning about foundational skills where you're going to learn how to work safely with this equipment and you're going to learn how to work safely with all of the other tools. It's not just equipment that, you know, can beat you up. You know, you can get repetitive stress injuries. You can have all kinds of, you know, issues come up from smithing. And, but if you take a class with somebody qualified and they teach you all of those things and it's going to empower you to, you know, to build a skill set that, to do whatever the, whatever you want as an artist. And additionally, you get some tools to be able to, you know, say, enable you to pursue the types of actual interests that you have. I mean, it's, there's a lot of bang for the buck there with tongs. Tongs are really great that way because it's just such a limiting factor. Like if you don't have the right tongs, you're just not going to be able to do the job. Right. You know, you can have a power hammer, you can have all this different equipment. If you can't hold the stock, it's a non-starter. You're just not going to do it. So, you know, and on the other hand, you know, you could have, you know, a good skill set with handwork and the appropriate tongs and just a hammer and anvil of ice forge. You can do incredible work. You don't have to have big hammers either. You know, so this is something that it really applies at all levels, you know, and Pat was saying, yeah, it might be an industrial style, but the fact that that is such a perfectly designed pair of tongs, it doesn't matter if you're using that for a quarter inch pair of tongs or a half inch pair of tongs. Good design is good design. Right. And I mean, it's an industrial style, right? Well, let's break it down. It's shoulder, taper, fuller industrial, architectural, sculptural, it's all the same. Well, and a lot of what makes it a good design is it's going to be durable and it's going to be safe, you know, and it's going to function well. So, you know, in industry, you couldn't compromise on any of those things. It can't be, it can't break soon. It can't, you know, manage the stock unsafely, you know, all of those things have to happen in an, in an industrial context to a greater degree because the stakes are higher, but all of those things still apply to them to handwork. You know, they're all still important. It doesn't matter what, you know, what level of work you're doing. As the, as we progress, how are you noticing more interest in forging and, and forging education? Are you, I mean, we talked, you and I talked before and you had told me on the drive back here, you said, Pat, that you're getting a lot more, you're so bit, you're busy. Mm-hmm. How are you, are you seeing, how are you, how, you're, the traffic that's coming to even just interest, not maybe not just taking classes, but interest. How are you seeing it develop? 
as people are becoming more interested in blacksmith? I'm not sure I understand the question. I mean, are you are you noticing? I mean, you noticing more people just showing interest in Center for Mental Arts. I I am, and <laughs> you know, I mean, it's you can you can learn forging um, a lot more places than you could, you know, five years ago, and um, I I always see it as. A community, not a competition. Right. So I support all these other places to, to go learn. Like this is what's going to drive our craft forward. Um, with CMA, you know, I'm I'm noticing, um, you know, we because there's a lot more of uh, learning opportunities available. I've been working really hard, and I think I've mentioned this before, so I won't belabor the point, but on. Um, more long-term kind of educational opportunities or like very structured, like technique-based, you know, my main inspiration would be like a trade school from the 1930s. It's like, I just want to teach you how to forge. Right. And then you're, you're welcome to go out into the world and do whatever you want with what I've taught you. Forging is forging and that's it. You can do whatever you want with it. And at CMA, that's all I want to teach you are the foundational skills to do that. And, and what I'm noticing, um, which I think is, I sort of take it as a compliment, um, a, a significant portion of our students are returning students year after year. And part of, you know, part of attracting a student year after year is, is changing your curriculum every year, you know, like offering different workshops inviting new instructors, keeping it new, keeping it fresh, keeping it interesting. And and then also I can't help but to think like, well, this is exciting and, and maybe, you know, um, should, I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but it sort of makes you feel like you're doing something right, right? Yeah. Um, people coming back time after Clearly. time. So it feels really good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the best thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, I got a, I just got an order from a, a customer who bought a knife for me five years ago and I felt like, oh, sh- great. I didn't fuck it up. You know, like he, there's a reason why they're back. In, it, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, in, you know, in, in, in this day and age with, all the digital content in the YouTube and um, Instagram, TikTok, like all that great stuff that is putting our craft out there. I think to, to have like a very real facility where you can practice that and work with professionals is, is a much different is a much different experience than seeing it on a screen. Right. And that, that can transform your your craft and your experience and um i think the people that come to cma hopefully they they have that experience and then they want it again and again and again because they're seeing real change in their skills i have i've changed my opinion i've changed my opinion over the years in regards to youtube and instagram Based on the concept, and this is something that I've talked, I've talked for years, I've been saying this, when Jesse Savage did the Blacksmith's Pub, 
and he and I would talk about writing questions. I remember the first time you were on, and Jesse and I were talking. Jesse called me up. He says, "I got questions for Pat. What do you want? What, what should we say?" And I helped him formulate the questions for for most of the guests. And I remember saying back in the day, even before, I used to say, "What's the role of the modern day blacksmith?" And that was my favorite question to ask because I liked hearing what people thought, you know. And I I'm start for a long time. I wondered what it is, and now when I see you know, YouTube, I, I feel like it's almost like the entry into people doing it and coming to a place like this to actually learn. Like, I, I ultimately, there's a lot of stuff that I hate. A lot of stuff that I hate. But I think maybe it's good for people to see it. Totally. Because it's the only way, because they're not going to read about it. Right. What do you think, John? I'm curious what John thinks. I'm curious what... I'm going to point the microphone at John and say, what do you think about the role of the modern-day blacksmith, Jonathan, John Williams? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that what you're saying about, you know, people getting exposure to this in, in um, all of these different contexts, you know, it's good. I don't know. I, I tend to be, I tend to think a little bit more abstractly about that. You know, I think that I'm personally drawn to blacksmithing and, um, I try to make sure that I'm always being, you know, authentic and true to myself and to my own interests. So, you know, I, I try to avoid things like what, you know, what is the role of, you know, the modern blacksmith, because sometimes that will lead me to a different conclusion than, you know, what is it I really want to do? And, you know, what I feel, what do I feel I'm well suited? Now, I'm not saying that isn't like you have some sort of responsibility. No, no. I mean, you know, I think that I've been doing blacksmithing for like 23 years professionally, about 19 years as a, as a farrier. And it's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately that, um, you know, if you're, you know, if, if you're paying attention to the wrong things or maybe to the wrong feedback, you can find yourself maybe not necessarily doing what it is you want to do. And, you know, so I, I do like to think about what you know, my role is personally, and I like to think of how I fit into that sort of context. But I also realize that, you know, I have a limited amount of time, you know, to, to really develop my skills and pursue my interests. And, you know, sometimes if I get a little bit worried about things like that, then maybe I'll kind of put myself off the path. So I try to think about, you know, what is it, really that I'm interested in. If I start thinking about say money or marketability or where I fit in, or like for that instance, or for that sake, you know, um, if you get a lot of, you know, feedback and you realize, okay, I, it's, it's kind of like this saying, um, you know, if you're really into impressing people, you know, and you're doing it with blacksmithing, are you really into blacksmithing or are you into impressing people, you know? And it's one of these things where, you know, I, I try to um, to always, you know, reference back against my own interests. And I've been in situations before where I had, you know, some serious interests that I didn't pursue because I didn't think maybe I had a way to, you know, ha fit this role into a context or, you know, be able to make a living or whatever. I see all these people doing it really successfully and I realize I was just kind of afraid of really taking that leap and I probably could have done those things. So. I'm much more interested these days in trying to have an authentic, you know, what do you mean? What I want to do. What do you mean when you said you, you could have been more successful? You know, I mean, it's it. So for instance, um, 
you know, I, I used to have a lot of interest in um, things like, um, I don't know, like uh, ornamentation on, on, on utility, utilitarian um, objects like axes. I really like the mammon axe. I like the herringbone um, uh, overlay on Viking sock, you know, socketed axe or um, spears. Um, I, I really liked the Sutton who that was one thing that really attracted me the uh, Gar Garnet Cloisonne stuff like that well you know I see artists and craftspeople they're building whole entire businesses around stuff like that I just didn't think that I could necessarily do that so I kind of fell into shooting horses and different things you know I realized I probably could have pursued that and I probably could have been successful well at the end of the day you know you, you can just find yourself tracking on things that maybe, you know, you're not necessarily interested, but you get this sort of feedback and before you know it, you're steering the way that you're actually... I know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying yeah. because Pat and I talked about this years ago. I almost had a... I had the opportunity in 2000 to get a job working for Tom Ryan at uh, Coney Ironworks. Is a he's black one of the best blacksmiths. He had the blacksmith shop at Coney Ironworks in New York, uh, very successful. And he, I, he offered me. I could have if I had started. That would have been the first time I ever started forging. And I think about that and how my life would have changed if I had gone that road. Yeah. And I didn't. I mean, I, this is just the way it is. I mean, yeah. I can't, I can't <laughs> think about. I, I, I can't think about those kinds of things. Yeah, I'm not saying I have any regrets, but you know what I am saying is that I think it's important to actually um, think about what really attracts you to doing this in the first place and yeah. follow that. I think it's important to <clears throat> build a certain vocabulary as an artist and then try to find your voice and then try to have a really, you know, authentic expression and, and you know, uh, representation of your work that you offer and you know, hopefully you pursue that. And I think that most people, when they do that, they do really well. That's kind of what I think. So, I don't know. I guess I just I just kind of steer away from this sort of formulaic thing. And I think that the really beautiful thing about blacksmithing is very empowering. It's very versatile. You can do literally almost anything with this with this medium right so you you figure out the you know the fundamental steps for how to do it and you can apply it in so many ways i think the people that i respect the most as artists they're really presenting a unique offering that is very personal to them and yeah you know that's what impresses me the most that brings me to something that pat and i were talking about the last episode which was Looking at CMA, looking at the building, the octagon with these incredible hammers, looking at the way that you've decided to push the CMA forward, the fact that these industrial machines and techniques are best fitted for artists. Mm -hmm. That was like our eure that was Eureka. It was, it was a very special moment for me because it made a lot of sense. You saying that this that the, the maybe the idea of the modern day blacksmith of the for, or or the forging in general towards the future is making art. Yeah, I mean, I I still feel that way for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the most appropriate um, roles for forging now. But I consider myself an artist, so maybe that's why I say that. And now we're getting ready for the Cambria Iron Conference on the 17th. Mm -hmm. Are you excited? Very excited. 
And Zach Noble is going to be here, right? Correct. And tell me, tell the listener what you guys are going to be doing on the 17th. There's still time, guys. This is coming out on... There's still time. You can make it down here. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Your head, maybe not. Yeah, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. Um, you know, it's a. This is our second second annual one. So um, you know, always a learning process. But I'm pretty excited at all the progress we've been making in the historic shop and and restoring hammers and furnaces and getting. A, proper air compression system and all that kind of stuff and uh you know the whole opportunity you know the whole sorry irish irish crickets the whole mission here is to um reopen that shop and make it available to the general public the artist blacksmith community we all know my feelings about those old industrial machines being reused as vehicles for creativity, um, historic preservation, education, all that stuff. So it's a, it's an exciting event that I'm, you know we host here, and uh, it's a great opportunity if you're interested in, in um, stepping foot in the historic shop and seeing the big hammers run and their new lives as as uh, tools for. The aforementioned things, and you have the design for the sculpture thought out, or, or Zach does, yeah, yeah. Have you done gone through some? Because the, the amazing part is, is, I love the idea is you have a small steam hammer that's a, ex, almost an exact smaller replica. I don't say replica; I'm not using the right terminology. It's a smaller version of the giant hammer that you have, right. and you're practicing on a small in a smaller version. Can I can I interject? Please, small. Is 400 pounds? Yeah. I mean, I'm just yeah, saying yeah, words. Okay. I'm, I'm saying words that, I mean, I'm just trying to, yeah, small is 400 pounds. I mean, it looks it's like very a... Very small. It's, yeah. But it's it's a monster, and you're doing a uh, a smaller version of the big one you're going to be doing. Have you done gone through... And you do the run-throughs on the smaller hammer, the 400 pound. We do, and, and Zach, you know, Zach will come here. He comes here like five days he teaches a collaborative sculpture workshop right before the conference and comes here. He's going to come here like five days before his workshop. And that's when we're going to do the conference prep with him, which would be like forging a maquette on the 400, uh, working with the team that's going to help assist him on the 3000 and probably making sure we understand the, tooling shapes and sizes that we need and then creating those tools to to translate the maquette to the 3000. So do you have a big punch list before the 17th? Oh yeah. Big. Yeah. You're going to make a lot of tooling still. Yep. Exciting. <laughs> it's exciting, isn't it? It is. You're going to be ready, right? Oh yeah. And you got all the steam. You got all the you got you you rent. You have to rent a big trailer for the steam for the uh, generator. We were fortunate enough to um, get awarded a grant to buy a compressor for that hammer. And you have it. We have it. It's installed. That I'm really excited that the hard work that everybody who's associated with CMA has helped support has allowed us to be in a position right now where any day we I can I we whoever can walk into that shop light a fire and forge on that hammer 
it's just there, ready to go. There's no, there, there's no deep preparations in calling rental companies. There's no, you're ready to roll. It's you over. just, you just decide. You could decide tonight that you want to turn it on tomorrow. We could forge on it right now. Dang. Can we though? Is that is that sort of uh, rhetorical or can we though? <laughs> well, John, John's putting it out I'm there. Ready. John's ready. putting it out there. Yeah. So have you got John? Have you gotten to see the see the the big hammers run? Um, you know, <laughs> almost <laughs> funny story. Last time I was here, we uh, we went out. We had a big piece of stock, as I recall. Put it in the in the forge. I, it was, I had it was uh, hot. I had rented right before John was here. We used we had to use the hammer for two weeks, so we had we had. Compressor, and and then John was here. The compressor was here, and then and then Pat goes, "Do you want to go forge on that hammer?" And I go, "Uh, yeah, dude, let's go forge on the hammer." So we go, we throw this huge piece of stock in the fire, we get it hot. I mean, it's, it's cooking, it's ready to go. Pat goes, "All right, man, I'm gonna turn on the compressor." He comes back, and I don't hear a compressor turn on. He comes back, and he goes, he's got his head down, he's shaking his head, he's like. I uh, I don't know what to say. There's no compressor, <laughs> so the rental company picked it up. Picked it up morning. early. It was there that morning. Yeah, it was there that morning. Oh, they put picked it up early. Yeah. Well, no, well, you know, United Rentals. You know, sometimes they uh, they they use your facility as a storage. Right. So oh, right, like, right, I, right. I want the compressor from like the seventh to the fuck to the twentieth. Yeah. You know, and they're like, okay, and they bill you for that, but like, they don't come and pick it up until the twenty eighth, you right. know, because like they could pick yeah. it up, bring it back, but they'd rather just let it sit with you and then go to the next place, the next right? And so that was kind of I was in that gray area where they were supposed to pick it up three days ago, and I was sitting here every day. I was like, oh, the compressor's still there. Next day, the compressor's still there. And when the compressor's there, I feel like it's time obligated. Like I, I, you're I, obligated. Yeah, it's like it, it used to be not an everyday thing. And then so John, you know, John really loves um, Cambria Iron and has been here even before I ever got here to see the shop. So I felt like there was some sort of camaraderie and like a, a bond there. So I was like, For sure. I, I felt really good. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you know show John a good time. Like we get to even if we're just squishing something. Right. Like it doesn't have to be. And it's like I saw the compressor there that morning, lit the fire, all that sort of whiz biz, and it then was, and uh, went to press the button and the compressor was just gone. It was like it disappeared into thin air. We had to take a minute after, yeah, after the it fact. Was, it was it, it was a letdown. A big letdown. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We were we were ready to go. But it's alright. I mean I uh, I know it's yeah. It's it's good. It was just a funny story. Yeah. What brought you here before? Uh, this this I know. Shop. Yeah. What I mean, I mean tell me tell the story. So I think I was here sometime between like 2006 2008. Wow. And uh I was born in eastern Pennsylvania in Westchester and uh my family's still out there. My dad jokes that he is following his son's footsteps cuz he took up blacksmithing after I did. Wow. And he was working for a company out here called Ball and Ball. 
they do reproduction work, and he was living out here working as a reproduction smith for Ball and Ball, saw an article about the Johnstown shop and said, hey, John, you should check it out. So uh, my wife and I came out here. From where? California. Okay. And uh, they wanted to have somebody come and be a resident here. And uh, they, we were working with the people here from the Johnstown Historic uh, Association. And um, so we put together a business proposal, a, 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 you know, a, a, a business plan. And um, they had another person that was uh, competing with us. And there was what the Johnstown Historic Society or association wanted. And then there was the city of Johnstown and they had a little bit of a conflict. The person that ultimately was awarded the, the contract, I guess they just never took it, but they were doing some sort of fabricated steel cabinets or something like that. And we were going to do traditional work. We wanted, you know, we wanted to work out the shop. Uh, so we came out here and, uh, had this business business proposal to run a tool company and a school and um, everything looked like it was going pretty good and then after that you know we thought that the uh, the shop had somebody here in residence and it was like several years later we were like wow that place doesn't have you know doesn't have anybody in residence so you know I kept going Jesus you need to go look at that place in Johnstown and um Eventually, you know, there was an agreement. We should. And about a week later, I saw Pat's post. And so at first I was just, you know, kind of like, ah, just felt defeated because it was been years. Right. Right. But then I was like, okay, I thought about it for a day. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to read out, reach out to Pat. This time we didn't know each other. Right. And, uh, you know, getting back to earlier, you know, we have a lot of common interests in Pat. You know, I kept on seeing his work and it seemed like we were had a parallel track. Like all the stuff we were working on, when I was doing silversmithing hammers, a lot of the stuff I was trying to get it forged to finish and sometimes I was doing ground finish and he was doing like the same stuff as me. All the time, I'm like, who is this guy? It was like, it was like we always had the same thing kind of like on our bench. And uh, anyway, so I reached out to him and I said, I let him know what was going on, you know, with the shop. And I said, hey, you know, I really, really was interested in trying to get into that shop, but I'm really, really happy that you're the person that was there. And, you know, I, I do teach blacksmithing occasionally. And if there's ever just like a time, you know, where you maybe need an instructor, please keep me, keep me in mind, you know, so. And then when, Pat, did you reach out to see if you wanted to teach a class? Well, it was probably, if, if last year was the first time John taught here, then it was the year before that, because we always schedule it a year in advance. So I was probably here for about two years, like, reestablishing the school in another location and, you know, getting it up and running again before I contacted him. So, so John, after seeing this place as a dump, Tell me, well, well, no, before, whoa, before, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but you, no, but 2006, 2006, yeah, we're talking. it was pretty cool, it was magical at the time. So, tell me your first thoughts the difference between then and when you came here after Pat took it over. Well, I mean, I, when I got here, you know, this place, I don't know, it was like a time capsule, and I had told Pat there was some stuff here that 
I don't think was here when Pat got here. No, definitely not. There was a pile of there's a pile of tongs like bigger than this room, about five feet tall. And when I when I had my when my jaw hit the ground and the guy from the historic association goes, well, well what's going on? I go, well, look at all these songs. Why are you, why do you care about these songs? These are the garbage songs. <laughs> and by the way, this room is probably like twenty by ten, so it was a, it was a big pile, you know. And he said, oh, you think that that's impressive? That pile was three times bigger, you know, 30 years ago or whenever they shut down the plant, right? So, and, you know, at the time, the Octagon, they didn't have concrete in there. And the first thing that happened when, when we pulled up was I parked. And rather than like a curb, <laughs> the big in-shop house bridge anvils that were you know, that you see all the time in past shots, they were like parking there. there was like one stanchions. The yeah. There's one turned on its side and there are like two others standing up. And I oh. just want like, it looks like a hay button with legs that are dovetailed, by the way. Clearly Forge and I just was like, what in the world? And we parked and something caught my eye out of the corner of my eye. There was a, an, a red hot train axle rolled off of a power hammer, a, 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 a CNC controlled power hammer down a ramp into a cooling yard with like 30 other axles. And uh, so, I mean, I, I just blew my mind, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the place was incredible. And I don't think it had really been touched, you know, for years. So, you know, yeah, it was really it was really cool to see. Because you saw the transformation. Oh, yeah, getting back to the question, I mean, yeah, the transformation's been incredible and you know, after, you know, I talked to Pat and after I kind of got over that initial letdown, I was really really happy that Pat was the guy that got the yeah. place. You know, I have a certain amount of skill set in certain things and you know, I, you know, I'm proud of those things, but I think Pat's the right guy for to be to be here. And I really believe that, you know, because of Pat, this place is going to get new life. And I'm very happy that, 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 you know, it worked out the way that it did. And I'm also really happy that Pat was able to invite, you know, or that he, you know, invited me out. You know, so I just, I just, everything about it, I think is just amazing. And just to pile on yeah. about the, the, the Pat love right now. Oh, and don't yeah, fucking yeah, shake. We're just you're yeah. just sitting. Just sit there and take it. Just sit there and take it. Take it, Pat. I remember. <laughs> I remember when I was part of the old fine architectural metal smiths and CMA, and I remember being very happy for you when you took it over because I saw and I remember the time I visited and saw how you already transformed that shop, and I was happy and I was thrilled for you and I was thrilled for you about coming down here. And I'm am in total agreement with John. I couldn't. I I'm happy for. The state of the education to kind of make this a fir- make this more popular in terms of the education of people not just watching Forge and Fire that they're actually getting real education. They're seeing the ability to learn this stuff from you. I'm appreciative. I've always been appreciative. Yeah, I. Uh, I just want to. We're say, done. You know, we're done. Th- we're done. You can relax. No, now. I'm going to say one more oh, thing. Watch out. Brace yourself, Pat. Brace yourself. I'm going to make Pat a little uncomfortable here, but no, Pat is a phenomenal Smith. But what I, what I, no, I'm going to say this. What I really love about you, Pat, is you've got a really singular vision and a singular mission for CMA, and it shows. 
And I think that that's what's really special about CMA. And I, I really, I mean, I, I gotta thank you, Pat, for what you're doing here because it's really, it's really cool. There is a lot of cultural significance here, and it's important that somebody has the commitment to doing something about it. Not just, not just wiping the, the slate no, clean no, and starting Pat, over. Pat's committed to making sure that that's preserved, and I think that that's really valuable. And you know, like. Just got to say that. I, I mean, think you'd really... make him feel better if you just said, I love you, man. I do love you, man. <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> we made some, we, I got to tell you, we made these toms today or over the last couple of days. And for whatever reason, they kind of have like a little heart shape. Look at you. Face. Look at you. like this. You know, it's kind yeah. of like a nice yeah. little like. It's a real love in I here down like there. A little, little starry eyes, like star eye emoji, you know? If those dudes from a hundred years ago started talking, hearing me talking about your heart tones, man, you'd be thrown no, in the river. I, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, Pat, but seriously, it's it, mission it is, unaccomplished. <laughs> it is important, you know, the work that you're doing here, and I, uh, I, I hope the rest of the community appreciate this, appreciates that as well. And and on top of that, you're offering a phenomenal class, so I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Tell us some more classes are coming up. No, no more classes. You don't want to talk about it. No, there's um, seasons actually kind of winding down. September is our last sort of busy month for workshops, and we have the uh, collaborative sculpture with Zach, which is super exciting, and then collaborative sculpture with Jake. Um, so it's a big in the in the conference right in the middle, right? So it's a big sculpture fest at CMA right now, and. Uh, Really looking forward to that, and there's some folks that are actually taking both both classes and coming for the conference and considering it a you know a nice little vacation sculpture residency down here. And it's uh, man, it's going, it's good, all good, all good. Look at you, look at you. <laughs> I mean, I look I, at you've been you've been uh, you've been referencing Howard Stern all day, yeah. so I feel inclined to say, "Look at you, G baby gorilla." <laughs> that, yeah, that that's that was uh, that was dirty work, you baby gorilla. Dirty work. That was Don Rickles. Don Rickles said that line to yeah. Artie Lang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at you, you baby gorilla. Yeah, I. It's you know, look, look. We're gonna wind this down because I mean, you know, we had a you know, we had a class to teach in the morning and stuff like that. But I'm grateful for the both of you. I'm I'm really glad that I got to talk with the both of you. It's always fun talking with you, Pat. It's great to meet you, John. Yeah, man. It's great to meet you. I, I, I it couldn't not have you because I just you know that's the way it is. Any parting thoughts? Anything? Any stories? Say it now or shut up forever. You know. I worked with an Ecuadorian guy, and he used to say, "Speak now or shut up forever." So, speak I mean, now or shut nice, up forever. That's a nice version. I like it. You know, yeah. You know, all right. Um, Pat, no, I got nothing. I got nothing. I, you know, just uh, hey, thanks for uh, inviting me to the impromptu interview. We're yeah, gonna get you on it. I get yeah. you on again. I'm gonna get you on again. Sure. I'm gonna yeah. get you on. Once you get home, I'm gonna get you on the mic, and we're gonna get you squared away. All right, guys. Okay, we'll head. Okay, yes. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Really do. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I'm dead serious. I, listen, I'm a, I'm in. I'm in the tank. I'm in the tank for you guys. I'm in the tank for you guys, and I'm honored to be here. My in, in my opinion about what I want to do is I want to get people's foot in the door. That's what I want. So, like getting students, 
getting people to trying to teach classes that are basic, that are interesting, makes them want to come back. I know there's a couple of people here who took a class from mine yeah. before. I want my in my mind, I want to get people in the door. So whatever it takes for me, and as a teacher, my job is to get people over the finish line. <laughs> so I mean, I, I have a totally different opinion. John Williams, Pat Quinn, Center for Mental Arts. We're gonna have a couple beers, and then we're gonna get the fuck out of here, guys. You know, you know what to do. You need to follow the CMA, Center for Mental Arts. You need to follow Pat Quinn. That's Hand Forged in VT. And John Williams is John underscore Williams underscore Guildwork. Of Guildworks. Yeah. Of Guildworks. And Guildworks is spelled goofy. It's like German spelling. W-E-R-K-S. Guildwork. If you don't, if you don't know... Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you don't know John Williams, you've you're, 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 you made some problems with, their, with in your lives. All right, guys. <laughs> Thanks again, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks again, guys. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Makers.